if you don't know me, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here at Redemption Church. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know uh, a lot of you, as I saw walking in, you're not a part of, uh, of Redemption Church, but you're uh, probably a part of, the, uh, of, of God's church uh, across our city. And so we are so excited uh, that you are here. We're so excited uh, to be hosting tonight. And our prayer uh, for this part of the weekend here uh, was to invite uh, followers of Christ and pastors all across the city uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, so that we could get to know each other a little bit, but secondly, so that we could be charged up uh, uh, to know that we're not alone in standing for truth. And we are in a time right now, and we know this, we are in a battle for truth in our culture, and it is, uh, it is the church's job to stand and to fight that spiritual battle. And uh, not one church uh, and not two churches should be fighting this alone. Uh, we need every Bible-preaching, Jesus-believing church in the city of Toledo standing together fighting back the enemy. And so we hope that tonight, in a small way, we might take a step to doing that. Uh, if you're a pastor of another church in the Toledo area, would you raise your hand? Okay, I see a couple hands all across the auditorium. Can we tell these guys thank you for coming on out? The bad news is we invited 250, but we're going to start with what we got. Amen? Hey, we had a fantastic morning. We all know this in generations. God, uh, he raises up voices or a voice. And all week, I've been thinking about Esther 9.1. It's one of my favorite verses. Now, in the 12th month, on the month of, the, of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the, when the Jews thought, when the enemies of the Jews thought they were going to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred, and the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. One of my favorite verses, okay? And uh, I preached a sermon on it a long time ago called The Rules of Reversal. And it's the five things that you see in a culture or a society for reversal to happen. And the first one is this someone's got to stand up. And we are lucky because in our culture, we had somebody who was willing to stand up to write a book that he knew was going to cause some, uh, some, some ripples, uh, might cost them some business and all of that kind of stuff, but did it boldly and, uh, and did it eloquently and beautifully, and God is using it. And that is Eric Metaxas, and he's here tonight. If we could give him a warm welcome. Eric, come on up. This is you. When did they, when did they sneak in? <laughs> I think you're on. I would have, if I would have known there were so many people coming, I would have worn the other wig. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell? Can you tell? I don't know. What a blessing. Praise God. Really, thank you for coming out. This is, uh, what, an, I, I, what an honor. And, and, uh, and what an honor, you know, to be considered a voice who's speaking up or whatever, because, like, I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't deserve to get to, 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 to be any kind of a voice, and, and I just, I'm just grateful that the Lord uh, is, is using this book, because I didn't write it as some kind of, like, a brilliant career move, you know? Like, it was just <laughs> something I felt. I said it this morning. I, I've never, ever, ever felt that I had to write something in the way that I had to write this. So it, I just assumed it was the Lord, and I said, Lord, you better help me, because I, I don't, 
I don't know what you want to say, and I don't want to get anything wrong. So anyway, I'm just grateful, grateful for your inviting me. Thank you. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, you, you say you didn't write it as some brilliant career move, but isn't it amazing how sometimes um, when you just follow God, he brings you into something and opens up doors you never thought were going to well, open up? That, that's that's the whole point, right? Yeah. Like we're supposed to follow the Lord. And if you actually follow him and trust him and walk with him, he can do some amazing stuff. But if you kind of hang back and are afraid to do that, he can't. He won't. Like he needs us to let him. And um, I've seen that many times. And, you know, you hear believers say this over the years, but it is true that I look back, writing the Bonhoeffer book, I had no clue, no clue that that would totally change my life and open all these doors and kind of give me a career that would be taken away from me when I endorsed Donald Trump. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> but it, it's kind of a weird, I joke, but the point is that I... When I wrote that book, I didn't think, oh, in the future, I'm going to write a book like this, that's, and we're going to be living something dramatically similar. That was God. Hmm. And on and on and on, you see the Lord do those kinds of things. So he really wants us. This is a major thing. I don't know if I said it this morning. It's a major thing that he wants us to lean into him, to depend on him, to live in a way that requires him to help us. If you live in a way that doesn't require him to help you, not only doesn't he help you, but then you don't get the joy of seeing him do miraculous things, Amen. Which, which is what he wants to do in all of our lives in various ways. So, yeah. So, maybe you've noticed, things have gotten a little crazy in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the pendulum swings, so it will be fine. No. So, which... Some people believe. No, and, I know. That's and, why I mock it. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we might get into that uh, in a moment. But uh, so, so you wrote the book, and there was a lot of people that were here this morning, but a lot of people that weren't here this morning. So can you give us uh, a Most people quick... weren't here this morning. You think Billions so? of people yeah. weren't here this morning. <laughs> and I'm hurt by that, but you yeah. know, what are you going to do? But a quick, uh, what? A quick, yeah, a quick, well, why, why, okay. why'd you write it? The book, it's called Letter to the American Church, and the, it, it's basically this. Uh, because I wrote the Bonhoeffer book, and I know that story, and so on and so forth, in the last couple of years, I realized that the silence of the church in Germany is precisely what led to the rise of the Nazis. In other words, the church in Germany was powerful enough as an institution in a very Christian nation to stand against the evil of the Nazis, but they didn't. Some did, but mostly they didn't. Mostly they hesitated and had all kinds of theological reasons. Romans 13, we're not supposed to, you know, go speak against the government or what, whatever garbage reasons, you know, because you can pluck Bible verses. Satan quoted scripture, just in case you're wondering, you know, uh, if that's always a good thing. Satan quoted scripture. And so you had a lot of good German pastors have all these excuses, theological excuses, of why they didn't need to speak up or whatever. And Bonhoeffer calls it out. He says it was it's mostly fear. It's, 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 they're wrong. It's not biblically based. And he tried and tried and tried to get them to wake up to stand against the Nazis. Now, again, it's easy for us to say, of course, you stand against the Nazis. But, you know, you could see how they were confused. But they didn't. Uh, and by, or a good... Most of them didn't. And by the time they saw what was happening, it was too late. They could have, but they hesitated and hesitated and hesitated. And then eventually it was too late. 
and the power to speak and to do anything was taken away, which is exactly what Hitler wanted. It's exactly what the enemy wanted. But I wrote the book because I said, you know, people ask, how could that happen? And I realized the answer to that is it could happen exactly as it is happening now in the United States of America. Like, it's not, how did it happen? It happened exactly as it's happening now and as it's been happening now. And the idea that we're alive to witness this, to witness pastors and stuff saying, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not ready to go. And, and the evil coming in, it's so dramatically similar. Of course, it's in many ways, it's different. It's globalist. It's not, you know, uh, nationalist. It's this, 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 but the, it's all the same, ultimately. It's, it's evil coming in, in various guises, doing what evil does. And many Christian leaders have been silent. And I wanted to write the book to say, let me show you exactly what their excuses were in the 30s and exactly what happened when they didn't speak up. And I want to charge the American church with really the voice of Bonhoeffer, just as he charged the German church and they blew it off. What do we say to what he said? It was a prophetic voice speaking. And, and the idea is that if we do not repent, if we do not understand that it is silence in the face of evil is evil. And, and we can give it all the theological, you know, window dressing. The Lord is not fooled. Uh, we have an obligation. And so I felt like I need to kind of lay out the biblical model for people who might disagree or for people who might say, well, I'm not sure, I don't want to be divisive or whatever, just to lay it out, what happened, why it happened, and, and by the grace of God to exhort the people of God to not allow it to happen as it is happening now, but to not allow it to continue. Amen. So in your book, you mentioned Bonhoeffer's uh, sermon, I believe in what, it was 1932, Yep. And this was before Hitler took office. Just a couple of months before Hitler becomes chancellor, yeah. Okay. And so then they, they continue to ignore him. Hitler takes office. Yeah. And, and so then there's a, this obvious timeline. Uh, and then we see, you know, Bonhoeffer leaves. He comes back to Germany. Uh, where are we in the timeline? If we're drawing the parallel, yeah. all right, is it still 1932? Uh, definitely not. No, okay. No. Um, I, I would say maybe 34. Um, it's still, but that's good news. Well, it, it's good news only because it's possible yeah. to avert it. But when I say possible, every day that passes, it becomes less possible. In other words, that's yeah. kind of the battle we're in, yeah. which is that in, in, um, Hey, if 20 years ago I said, I'm against same sex marriage, they would be like, so, so is everybody. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You know, so is every democratic politician, right? Well, you wait 10 years, and then suddenly you say it, and people are like, well, I wouldn't say that if I were you. What happened? Well, what happened was, as time passes, and we are not clear and strong, uh, evil takes over, because we allow it to. I mean, you, this goes back, you know, this is not like you could say, well, it started in the 60s, it started, I mean, it started in the Garden of Eden, but we can look at history, and in 1954, when Lyndon Johnson, tremendously corrupt monster of a politician. Any Johnson fans in the audience? Yeah, he was, right? And he, he, he basically comes up with this thing, the Johnson Amendment uh, you know, to the tax code, that if you uh, are a church tax exempt, if you speak politically, your tax exempt status could be taken away. 
It was just an ugly moment in our history that the churches didn't raise bloody heck over that. Mm-hmm. That we let them get away with that. Like, you're going to tell pastors that they could be careful what you say <laughs> in America? How dare you? But they let it happen. And we kind of internalize that concept. Like, yeah, we don't do politics. I want to ask you, what, why? We're supposed to do everything. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to take the truth of God into every sphere and not to be afraid to, to bring it into every mm-hmm. sphere. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I talk in the book about... You know, when William Wilberforce brought about the abolition of the slave trade, I wrote about it in my book, Amazing Grace. It's one of the greatest stories ever of a man's faith leading him to do something glorious for, for the whole world, practically. I mean, in the case of Wilberforce, what it ended up being. But it came out of his faith, and he was a politician. He used politics. He didn't just use politics. He used cultural stuff or whatever. But the point is, at, at, in that day, people said to him, like, oh, you shouldn't get political. Keep your faith separate. Keep your faith private. And he said, what are you talking about? There's this thing called truth. There's good. There's evil. Like, I don't go according to these categories. God doesn't go according to these categories. God doesn't say, like, hey, well, let slavery ride. Let it ride because we just care about the gospel. <laughs> God cares about evil and corruption and suffering and the poor. And he says it all through Scripture. So we'll before is a classic example, and so if you read my book or you saw the movie or whatever, we all cheer. We don't say, oh, he was political. So where did we get this idea? Uh, politics is part of life, and we're not supposed to make an idol of politics, but we've all kind of internalized this idea like churches aren't supposed to be political, and I think that's not biblical. The, the whole civil rights movement came out of the churches. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know, if you're advocating for Satan, yeah, that's bad. But if you're advocating for God's values, uh, I don't really understand it. But we have really silenced ourselves, and we've allowed evil um, to take over. And so that, that's kind of – I forgot your question, of course, now that I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. I did too, so you're, you're yeah. fine. But it is amazing that the church allowed uh, a senator of the, you know, the type that you, yeah. you talked about oh. to completely change our perspective on what our responsibility was in the body of Christ. It's, I mean, it is, it is amazing. And of course, you understand. It's kind of like when people say, I don't know about free speech. Who's going to determine when a pastor says something that's on the line and it's his tax-exempt status is threatened? Who's going to make that decision? Who's going to make the decision when you say something that it's not protected speech. You can't say that. Who makes those decisions? People in power. Not people of principle. People in power will make that decision. Mm-hmm. And so if your church is saying a lot of good stuff about me, the politician, I'm going to do everything I can to help you. And if you say stuff I don't like, I'm going to try to hurt you because now there's this stupid law that I can use. That's you know anti-freedom. It's anti-American. It's certainly anti-God. But we allowed that uh, to happen. And I think that it's part of, you know, again, this was a big problem in the German church, which led to the rise of the Nazis. But it's been a big part of the DNA of the American church, right? In other words, we, we, we got some stuff right, we got some stuff wrong. This thing we kind of got wrong a lot. Um, and, you know, you kind of create this churchianity. Like, we're doing church. And what is church? Church is I go to this thing on Sunday morning and blah, blah, blah. That is not the church of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, right? That, that's, that's, that's like playing church, and God is not, you know, fooled, God is not fooled by it. In fact, he's offended by it. We're supposed to live out our faith 24-7. We're supposed to be the church of Jesus 
in, in this world and supposed to take our faith into all the world. And so this, this kind of thing, you can see how it happens to a culture like Germany and like America that is blessed. Like if you're really blessed and you're not persecuted, you could kind of just like sit back and go like, well, they get persecuted for the faith in other countries. But here, you know, we just, uh, sometimes it rains and it's hard to find parking and that's the spiritual warfare we're dealing with <laughs> in our church. You know, choir's not what it used to be. We got a new choir director. Yeah, we're having, we got a tough, it's tough. So we have really forgotten what it is to be the church because we've been so blessed in the same way that many Americans have forgotten what it is to fight for liberty because we've had so much liberty. We can't even imagine what it would be to lose it. So I think the Lord has allowed a lot of these things to happen to us very recently to wake up those who could be awakened because mm -hmm. the Lord wants to do some things. He wants a, a, an awake church, an active church. Uh, and that's part of what I see as the potential for the nightmares that we're seeing unfolding around us is that it is waking some people up. Praise the Lord. Amen. It, within that thought, there's this myth of the, the naked public square. You mentioned this. And is this really just the cover to let secular, secularism be the predominant religious Totally, field? totally. Yeah, Richard John Newhouse, whom I had the privilege of knowing a little bit, um, wrote a book in 1984 called The Naked Public Square, where he basically talks about the idea of the secularization. In other words, this lie that, uh, you know, I mean, and again, I write about it in the book Letter to the American Church, but like you, you get some people suddenly saying, oh, the separation of church and state. That means... We cannot have faith uh, in government or in the culture or whatever. That is the opposite of what the founders wanted. The founders said we need to have a separation of church and state, I mean, and to use Jefferson's words, because it is the temptation always of the state to try to take over the church. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. of the state to become the church, of the state to tell you where you can go to church or when you can go to church or what church or what mosque or what synagogue or whether you're all going to live under enforced atheism, right? So the founders said, we're not going to have that. So separation of church and state is designed to bolster churches, okay? But so in the 60s, some people decided, uh, oh, what that means is we have to take any, uh, any elements of, of, of faith out of the public square, right? So that's when prayer was taken out of the schools and on. It goes on and on and on, and you know you can argue about the details, but the point is what it resulted in is enforced secularism, which is a kind of religion. So the Constitution talks about to have no establishment of a religion, right? Well, that means no establishment by the government of what you believe on ultimate things. So, but when they now tell you you can't talk about that and you have to do this and you have to do that and whatever, you have to acknowledge marriage between a man and a man or you're going to be sued or, 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 or you start seeing like, oh, this is exactly what the Constitution said the government cannot do. They are enforcing a religion, but because it's secularism, they say, well, it's not religion, it's anti-religion. Well, of course it is religion because it has a view on these things and it is against uh, biblical values and so... Any serious Jew or Christian understands that this is at war with the founders and truth and at war with our values. But the point is, even if it's not just at war with our values, it's, it's just wrong in terms of what America is and what freedom is. And, and that's resulted in this absurd situation in which we find uh, people with biblical views being demonized like, well, yeah, we can do that. We can demonize that group of people. 
Well, not according to the founders' vision of this country. And it's not just because they were Christians. It's because they understood what is liberty. When you have liberty, you, can't, you don't do that. So that's, that's kind of this gigantic misunderstanding that um, we have allowed. Mostly liberals, whether liberal Christians or, or theological liberals, have kind of allowed it because they have this kind of, we were talking about this in the car on the way over here. Uh, they have this, like, the, the boogeyman is like theocracy. Like, you know, like it's, we're, we're going uh, to enforce our values on people, you know? And like that has happened in history, but like the idea that the, I, I, the most serious Christians I know would, would like laugh at that. Like, are you kidding? Like, no, I wouldn't do that. That's, that's antithetical to my faith, and it's antithetical to who I am as an American. I wouldn't do that. But there are people who kind of pretend like, well, you know, if you give them an inch, they'll, 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 they'll take over. It'll be the handmaid's, you know, tale in five minutes. You, like, we have to be really careful. And so there's been a real strong bias against Christians, and it's been allowed, and it's been growing, and we have to, we have to push back hard because it's, 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 it hurts everybody, not just because it would hurt us, but because it hurts everybody. In other words, imagine if you're a slave, uh, and there's a country that they're discussing the abolition of slavery, and then some people say, well, you can't discuss that. That's a faith issue. If you bring the faith into the public square on that issue, you're going to bless the, those who are enslaved. You're going to bring freedom to those who are enslaved. If you, mm -hmm. if you bring your faith into the issue on any number of issues, I, I want to be clear, it blesses people outside the church. That, yeah. that, and, and you need to know that when you push for your biblical values, that your biblical values, it's not about us versus them. It's about something beautiful and true for everybody. You know, it's kind of like saying, like, I, I, I want to I feed the, the, the hungry. And people are like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's going to bless people. It's not meant to harm people. And I think we, a lot of times people in the church have, we've internalized that kind of criticism and we've acted like, oh, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, imp impose my faith outside my little church. And you think, what, what are you talking about? That's the whole point of having faith is to bring it outside the building, Amen. to bless those beyond the building, beyond mm -hmm. the church. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the state of the church a little bit. Because that's depressing. Let's not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're the one who wrote the letter to it. All right. <laughs> so uh, let's 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 chat about it because I think there's a couple of things in here that we can we can track. Yeah. Um, historically, yeah. we see 1954. We see prayer taken out of the schools. We can kind of walk these things out, right? Then we see the rise of these church movements uh, where discipleship is heavily downplayed. It's just let's let's win some people to Jesus. Let's make sure they cross the line of faith. Doesn't matter if we grow. Them up. Doesn't matter if they're shallow Christians forever. Right. As long as they tick the box. Yeah. They're on the list. Well, it's kind of funny. Now, there's where did that model come from? That's not. It's not biblical, right? I mean, right. there's a chapter in my book called "The Idol of Evangelism." Sure. I mean, you, you, you're supposed to get saved. That's the starting line, right? If it were the end line, you'd be like, "Well, Lord, translate me now, or I'll jump off a cliff." Because what is there to do? I'm saved. That's all that matters. That's not all that matters. Mm-hmm. The Lord wants us to bring kingdom values. He wants us to bring the kingdom to bear in, in, in the world. And so that's kind of what happened. You, you got, it's, it's, it's really horrifying to think that, that you know, the seeker church uh, movement, that, that they, they acted like, hey, we've kind of figured it out. Like, we've got a secret formula. And 
if it had worked, I would be thrilled. But it didn't work. It wasn't biblical. You're supposed to disciple people. You're supposed to bring them deeper and deeper and deeper and closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Not just kind of like say, you know, we all, uh, our lives will be a little bit better if we believe in Jesus or, or so whatever it was that they were doing. It didn't, it, it didn't have the effect that it's supposed to have. And I think it's kind of you know, it's, again, it's one of the downsides of the American culture is that we, we, you know, we just tend to be shallow because, like, we've had it so good. But it, it hasn't worked. And also, I mean, if you're going to track the church, right, in the 80s, finally, uh, a lot of Christians said, hey, we need to take our faith into the public square, right? And that, you know, we had the rise of the moral majority and... and uh, Jerry Falwell and all these people, they were all 100% right uh, that, that we're supposed to. But the point is, you're not just supposed to bring your faith into politics. You're supposed to bring your faith into everything, right? Mm -hmm. So it become kind of the culture wars or whatever. And to some extent, um, the pushback was so strong that at some point, a lot of people said, you know what, we're, gonna, we're just going to stop that. We're just not going to do that anymore. We're just going to, quote, unquote, preach the gospel. There is no such thing. Like, there's no such thing as just kind of carving out, we're just going to preach the gospel, and we're not going to talk about hot-button issues. The hot-button issues come to you. you. You don't go hunting for them, right? I mean, if there are evil things out there, and you say, well, that's not a gospel-related issue, you're playing games. Uh, 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 truth is a gospel-related issue, okay? Corruption, uh, uh, election fraud, uh, medical malfeasance, I mean, anything is related to God's heart. He cares about what's right and true. But a lot of the church bought this idea somehow that the only thing that matters is evangelism, so we won't say anything divisive. And you, you can see there's always a little truth in every lie. Like, you, part of that you could understand, but it can go very, very, very wrong really quickly. And I believe that's really what we're dealing with right now. And it seemed like for a while there, there were these strategies in there. There was the the third way strategy, right? So let's try to disconnect from left or right. And then there was also a, what I would say is a different strategy, which is kind of this like um, murky middle ground where I'm trying to play both sides. Well, th this is, I mean, this is important to say because I, you know, I was friends with Tim Keller. He wrote the foreword to my Bonhoeffer book and he's a really good man. And what he was saying basically made sense for a season. And, you know, when the Democratic Party had a whole bunch of pro-life people in it, uh, when they were represented by, you know, affable, overweight figures like Tip O'Neill, that, then it makes sense to say, well, it's not about party or it's not about whatever. But when you see a culture shift so dramatically that the left is no longer Jimmy Carter, who was an actual Christian, uh, or, or Tip O'Neill, but it, but it is figures who have effectively uh, allied themselves with genuinely atheistic cultural Marxism mm -hmm. and mad ideas like the transgender movement and so on and on and on. If you if at that point you think you can stay out of politics, you are you know. On crack? I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what, what. But the point is that. But it's all. It's also an issue of, of like. You know, in other words, like I understand that when it's possible not to be quote unquote political. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. But but if slavery is an issue, and you say I don't want to be political, 
Most Christians today would look at you and say, what a cowardly pig you are. How dare you say that you're not going to take a stance on that issue? You know, uh, what about rape? What, what about, like, what, I mean, there are evil things in this world, and God calls us to stand against those things. And so if you can be apolitical, great. But when these things come in and you say, well, I'm going to take a pass on that, the, the question is, at what price? And so Tim Keller, to some extent, was right, but the world changed, and mm -hmm. he refused to see that. And, you know, look, uh, sometimes you just have to be really practical, right? If Donald Trump hadn't been elected president, three Supreme Court justices would have been appointed by Hillary Clinton. And not only... <laughs> But I mean, you think got to think about that. In other words, that's that's called politics, right? Yep. And if you care about the unborn, and you're supposed to, that mm -hmm. matters. If you care about anything, that matters. So yep. there are plenty of Christians that that really um, have bought this lie that I'm not supposed to be political at all. They don't even vote. You want to know why California has gone to hell? Because the zillion number of evangelical Christians in that state don't vote. It's insane. And they bought this lie. And these lies, you know, kind of bubble through the church over the decades and the centuries. And sometimes you see the fruit. And that's kind of what has happened. You, you get a lot of Christians who buy this idea that, you know, I'm a member of the kingdom of heaven, so my American citizenship doesn't matter. And you're like, you can't chew gum and uh, walk at the same time. <laughs> like, this is, you're, you're, you think you have to choose? Like, I have to choose. Either you love God or you love your wife and kids. Well, I'm supposed to love God the most, but the Lord commands me to honor my parents, to love my family, whatever. So where do we get this idea that we're supposed to be separatists in a sense, right? We're supposed to push away, not be involved in government. We'll remove all the salt and light from the culture, and we'll see how that goes. But there are Christians, I think, who are almost like they cheer the downfall of culture, like going, see? See? It's all going to hell, and why should I do anything about it? I can't do anything about it anyway. The Lord's on his throne, and, you know, he's going to be back, and he'll be here any minute, so I'm going to hang out in the, in the, in the root cellar with my mm -hmm. water purification tablets and my Slim Jims. I'm ready. Man. And you're working for the devil at that point because yeah. you're not in the fight. You're not in God's fight. And, and the Jews suffered because the German church took that view. Yeah. And uh, the slaves suffered because many Christians said, oh, I don't, want, I don't want to be political. That's a political issue. God doesn't have those categories. He has, you know, true and false and good and evil. And uh, somehow we have really dramatically bought these, these bad ideas. And, 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 I, and I just think that sometimes it kind of comes to a head. And we're living in a time now where it's become really dramatic. We see it clearer than you ever could. Yeah, that moment when it seems like we, we switched from red and blue, right, political issues, to we're talking worldview now. We're not talking tax policy or little things on yeah. the top, right? Yeah. We're talking what is at the base, right? What's yeah. the worldview? And there was a, there was a switch. Well, that's, that's what's so interesting. In other words, I, I really do think that, you know, if you're old enough to remember Tip O'Neill or Jimmy Carter or whatever, you look back and you think, wow, they really were uh, not as different in terms of, you know, there were, there's always radicals, but the point is that politics have shifted dramatically. And so this is not to say that I think the Republicans have all the answers, because a lot of the Republicans 
are also, what's the nice phrase, cowardly pigs, I think is the term that I would use. Like, <laughs> but I mean, I say this just because they are elected yeah. to stand yeah. for we the people, right? And they're kind of like, well, I think I'll take a pass on that. Well, you need to get out of office because the, the, the country is... The, the, the country, I mean, I say this, I, I, I say this just because I want to be really clear, okay? If you allow evil to rise, right? You, you, what, a lot of what, what people are doing in the church and in politics are doing the same thing. They're virtue signaling, right? They're basically saying, I want to look good, and I don't want anybody to call me a racist, so I'm just going to go along with this narrative. I don't want anybody to call me transphobic. I'm going to go along with this narrative. Meanwhile, God is looking at you. And God says, your silence and your not wanting to get called those names is causing actual people to suffer. Amen. So the poor are being crushed because of those socialistic policies. The poor are being crushed by crime because of, of blue state policies. They are being harmed, and the Lord loves them, and he commands his church to stand up for them. And if standing up for them means you vote for the Republican, even though you know uh, he's got tattoos or something you disapprove of, <laughs> the point is it's about the poor people being crushed. You have a responsibility. Right. And if you care about communities of color, you will speak out against critical race theory because that is harming uh, race relations. It is harming right. communities of color. So the point is that it, 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 do we want a virtue signal and look good, or do we want to actually do what God calls us to do? And so you have a lot of Republicans, obviously, that they just think like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit this one out. I don't want to be like those hotheads, you know, because they actually don't care about the poor or about people suffering or about the, they they really don't care. They care about keeping power, but it's really ugly when that enters the church, uh, and when people say, well, I just care about. I don't want to lose any tithes. Uh, you know, we've lost a few people. I don't want to bring anything up where I could lose people. Well, that's not really how you're supposed to function as a pastor or a Christian leader or as a Christian at all, you know. But that's, that's kind of, that's what people do when they don't take God very seriously. Do you think one of Satan's tactics right now is to make us forget uh, the horrors of previous socialistic nations and what Marxist theory is doing to our young people? Oh, of course. I mean, and, and again, in America, you know, we're... we're we're sitting ducks because we've had it so good that a lot of us can't even imagine, especially young people, can't imagine that things could get bad, right? But you ask my mother and father who, you know, were in Europe during the war, and my mother was in Germany, which then became East Germany under the Soviets. You talk to anybody who lived in Cuba or in, the, in any of those places, <laughs> you don't need to, you don't need to, they, they will tell you like, oh, you have no, you have no idea what can happen. But we are so blessed in America that we really don't have an idea. We kind of think, well, how bad could it get? Maybe my 401k goes down, but it'll come back up, or maybe, but, you know, we don't understand that what we have is so fragile and so blessed that we need to fight to keep it, and not just for, 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 for those others who live in the United States, but for the whole world, that we need to be a voice of liberty and freedom and truth, and we have been that over the decades and the centuries. And if we don't do that, um, evil will take over. And again, it's only because we're so blessed that we really don't understand how wicked 
Marxism is. I mean, it is enforced atheism for one thing. Uh, it is controlling, it is crushing, it's anti-liberty, it's anti-everything most of us have taken for granted. Um, and it is happening, uh, and we need to stand and fight against it. And again, don't just do it for yourself or your family. Do it for the, the, for the innumerable people out there who don't know what's going on and who need someone to take a stand, you know, for, 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 for them. Amen. All right, we're about halfway through. We'll take a, we'll take a quick, serious question pause. All right, so just we'll lighten the mood here for a moment. All right, here we go. You're killing it, by the way. Great work. Um, Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, I'm going to say something now. Some people are going to walk out when I say this. I've never read the Lord of the Rings. Are there any Catholic believers here? I apologize that I said that. I apologize. I'm sorry. They're all in the back. I'm sorry. No, I, um, I, I, I've never read Lord of the Rings, and I, I, I love the Chronicles of Narnia so much that I, uh, I, can, never, I can never get over the genius of C.S. Lewis, uh, which is exhibited in some ways most magnificently in those seven books. So I just, I love uh, I love Lewis and, and Narnia. I don't hate Tolkien. I just uh, am not familiar with his oeuvre. Great answer. All right. Um, okay, let's play, let's play a game. I'm going to read some quotes. Yeah. And then you just fire away. All right. All right? Here's the first quote. Phyllis Diller. <laughs> Did I get it? Okay. <laughs> Actually, we're going to play this game first. It's a fill-in-the-blank. Gavin Newsom just got elected president. Eric is now going to do what? Um, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I'm going to do exactly what I've been doing. You pray, and you fight, and you Amen. trust the Lord. And even if you lose, you win because you obey God, and you do what he's called you to do. So there you go. There you go. Okay, here's a quote. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. I'm pretty sure that's the singer Perry Como. <laughs> no, it's actually it's, it's de Tocqueville, and I quote Tocqueville a lot. I... I, I think there's a couple of quotes, I think that's one of them, which probably isn't actually Tocqueville, but it doesn't matter because it's a summation of exactly what he believed. He came here in uh, 1826, and I write about him in my book, uh, uh, If You Can Keep It, about America. But he came here, and he saw something crazy. Like he said, in France... You know, we've had our, our revolution, and we talk about liberty, and we talk about freedom, but it's completely different from what you have in America. Why? Well, I mean, ultimately, because it was a satanic view of liberty. It was, it was license, and it was a bloodbath, uh, and it was anti-God and anti-church. And he comes to America, and he sees that the churches are somehow allies of freedom, and, and freedom bolsters the church, and church bolsters, and it's this magical thing that he saw 
that the founders understood, and I, I talk about it, there's a chapter in my book, if you can keep it, called The Golden Triangle of Freedom, that when I understood that, now this is an idea I got from Oz Guinness, who's an extraordinary writer and a dear friend, but the genius of this idea is to understand that all of the founders knew when they created the United States of America that we don't know if this idea can work because it's never been done before in the history of the world. People governing themselves, is this gonna work? And they said, well, the, way, the only way it could work is if the people are virtuous. Uh, because if you're virtuous, you do the right thing when nobody's looking. You don't need a, a deep state, a bureaucracy, a tyrant you know, aiming guns at you to do the right thing. You do it because you answer to a higher authority. You answer to God. And the founders understood that idea. And when Tocqueville saw this in 1826, he marveled at, at how it was the opposite of what he had in France. At France, the people who were you know, talking about freedom were the enemies of the church. Now, part of that is because the church was a kind of state-run institution, right? It was not free. Here, we had freedom of religion. You could go to any church you want. You could go to no church. But when, when you have the authority of the church melted into the authority of the state, it becomes the enemy of everyone who says they're for freedom. So it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's what makes America so amazing is that for the first time in the history of the world, we kind of figured out how this might work and we actually did it and we've been doing it. Uh, and of course we've been losing it in the last 50 or so years, but that's, once you understand how it works, it really blows your mind, just as it blew Tocqueville's mind and it, it blew uh, Abraham Lincoln's mind. He understood this brilliantly in a way that you know, almost no president has. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very important concept. So with that in mind, how important is the Christian faith to the sustaining of our republic? Well, it's crucial. Um, now, the key, though, is that because we believe in, the, in freedom of religion, we can't enforce Christian faith. Now, interestingly enough, we all should know, you can't enforce it anyway. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If it's not free, if it doesn't come freely from God and it's, it's part of who you are and part of your life, if somebody forces you to be a Christian, well, how, how do you do that? I gotta put a gun to your head if you like you don't have a quiet time, like I'll kill you. What am I what am I gonna do <laughs> to enforce? You can't do that. So that's the genius of the founders. They said that we know that faith is central to virtue and and, and whatever. And on some level it doesn't even need to be Christian faith, but it, it, it sort of it does actually. But it's it's kind of a complicated conversation. But the bottom line is that it is central to people governing themselves. It's somehow central. And it's central that you understand that we can't enforce faith, even though that's the magic part. We need the faith part, but you can't enforce it. Otherwise, there's no freedom. So, but to be really clear, the founders uh, all understood this. This was not just a few Christian founders. They basically all understood that a robust expression of Christian faith was at the heart of American liberty. There's just no way around that. But they also knew that you cannot enforce that. So it's up to the church to be the church freely. Uh, and if the church isn't the church, you lose the liberties uh, that, that are, have been given to us by God. So uh, ultimately, that's why it falls to the church to, meant to be the church. And if the church is the church, you have liberty. And if the church kind of says, we're going to hang back, we're not going to get involved in that stuff, freedom goes away. So that's just the way it is. And we know we can't force 
our faith. You can't force conversion. But the other side, the secular side, they can try and stamp faith out. Sure. And so they have been trying to do that because they understand what we're, what we're saying, which is that faith is required to sustain the republic. So the obvious solution for them is, well, let's try to eliminate it as much as we can. But I mean, anybody who in, is involved in you know, believing in the state needs to be powerful, the government needs to be powerful, you know that your number one enemy is people of faith. There's just no way around it. You don't need to be a Christian. Why do you think the Chinese are, are persecuting the Uyghur Muslims? Because the Uyghur Muslims are saying we have a, another authority, not the Chinese Communist Party. The, the communists, the fascists, who, whoever they are that want power understand that people of sincere faith are their greatest enemy, which is why Hitler did everything he could to wipe out the church. Now, he didn't advertise it. He didn't say, oh, I'm here to wipe out the church because that would have woken up the church and they would have fought back. He just tried to lull them into a sense of, you know, everything will be fine. I, so we sort of agree with each other until he had the power. And that's basically what's been happening in the United States is that there are a lot of people in the church fooled into this preposterous idea that, you know, we don't need to be involved in these kinds of things. We don't need to be involved in, in civic government and, and, and we, you know, we, we, we can be otherworldly. <laughs> yeah, you can be otherworldly until the people in power tell you, yeah, you can't do that anymore. You know, hmm. do, do, do what we tell you to do. So um, it's, 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 it's at the heart of liberty uh, on the American model that faith is at the heart of it. So the enemies of liberty will always hate expressions of faith because it's it's a threat to them it's is there's it's 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 that simple do you think that the covid shutdowns everything we experienced in 20 um the for many people some of the disappointment of the 22 elections um can you see a perspective that that was god's grace to not give us such a victory that we uh, got complacent but actually a reminder a the fight is not over no no absolutely to my mind you know, this might sound crazy, but like I'm happy we didn't have a red wave because people need to fight. We need to fight against election fraud. Now, why do you, th I mean, why would you think people wouldn't steal elections if they could? Like, in, in other words, why do you think they wouldn't do that if they could get away with it? I mean, even if you don't believe the election was stolen, you should care about that issue. You should say, well, as an American, we have to have free elections. Well, I should care about that issue. And then people say, well, you can't talk about that. And you say, oh, I can't talk about it. That makes me think you're hiding something. Um, the corruption, corruption is just sin. And we're dealing with sin. Mm -hmm. And it's the job of the church to say, no, that's wrong. That's destructive. And we want to see, we want transparency. We'd like you to open the books. We'd like to see, we'd like to read the Pfizer documents. We'd like to, do you mind if we, if we could have a peek? into this stuff and the fact of the matter is that is healthy so when people tell you no how dare you you know what you're dealing with right there mm -hmm. that's dark mm -hmm. that's the enemy that those are the enemies of freedom the enemies of truth when they tell you shut up no you can't say this you can't say that so we've been dealing with that and I think that, you know, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes all things so all this bad stuff I believe can be used by God and is being used by God to wake people up and to say you must 
fight. You must get involved. You must, you know, tithe your time to, to your community or to, to your, to, you, you, you need to get involved or it goes away. It doesn't sustain itself. The bad people will get involved and they will steal everything from you. And so I really do believe that the Lord allowed these things. Now, this doesn't mean that we are waking up. I believe by God's grace, people are waking up and I believe he called me to write this book. That's part of it. And there's all kinds of people out there fighting but everybody needs to get involved. And, and anybody who calls himself a Christian must get involved. Like, we, we absolutely must. The Lord will judge us if we don't because people will suffer. And it's no different in Germany when the German church said, well, we're going to take a pass on this. That was just one of the most horrible things in history what happened. And it was laid, the blame was laid at the foot of the church. The church had the ability, and they said, well, we don't want that trouble. We're going to take a pass. And we see what happened. But we don't have that excuse because we have the example of the Germans to look back on. And, and what can happen here? We, we have no idea. The evil that can happen, we really, we're so spoiled and so blessed, it's hard for us to imagine. So what has happened in the last couple of years has been just like a taste that, you know, you, you want a lot more of this. You, you want to live, uh, you want to be subjugated the way people are in, in China or North Korea, because that is exactly what happens unless you fight for freedom and unless you stand for God and, and his principles. I mean, that is what happens. And we've just never had to face that because we kind of think like, well, America's always been great, everything's fine, but suddenly it's not. And so God's people have to arise to that moment. And you're talking, and, and I agree everything you just said, and, and we are pointing out, sometimes we look and we say, well, it's not... It's not Nazi Germany, Eric. I mean, come on. Right. And, that, but, no, that's the point. Right. It yeah. was Nazi Germany Before at the beginning of Nazi Germany. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You know, it's like we automatically think of like, you know, like, the, the nightmare. And it's like, no, no, no. Go, if you go back to, to what, whatever it was, you go back to 31 or 32 or 33 or you did. They said, well, you know, it, it's not so bad. For a lot of people, it wasn't so bad. And so it lulled them into a sense of security. They couldn't dream of what was coming. And that's the point. It's like, if we look at that, unless we're arrogant and we think, like, well, the Germans are uniquely evil. That can never happen in America. Why would you say that? Then you're a racist because you're saying the Germans are uniquely evil. Why are they any different than you? We, we are all capable uh, of cowardice in a moment that we're supposed to speak up. And that's what happened in that culture. And... That's the that's kind of the point is if you wait till it gets that bad, it's over. Mm -hmm. And that's to even ignore the fact of what we're currently living in the 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 fate of the unborn in our country, the the level of teen depression and suicide, the confusion that's being poured upon our children. I mean, all of the other things, the oppression on the on the lower classes in our in our country uh, through these policies, and so. There's already a lot messed up that should fire Christians up, not to even mention what could happen. Well, that's what's so interesting. It's like, wh why aren't Christians outraged at the human rights abuses in China toward the Uyghur Muslims? You know, we act like, well, if I was alive in Germany, I would have spoken up for the Jews. Well, do you understand, like, we are doing business and making a lot of money working with companies that their values are equal to the values of the worst Nazis. And we kind of act like, well, I don't care. I'm making a buck out of it. You know, like, well, you think God won't judge you for that? You, we, we should be at the forefront 
of talking about human rights abuses and boycotting Nike or whoever it is, like, you know, forcing them to show us their books. Are, are you benefiting off of slave labor? Hey, NBA, uh, you know, are you benefiting? In other words, we ought to be at the forefront of this, challenging them. Uh, instead, we're allowing them to say, like, oh, you know, are you, how big is your carbon footprint? You know, what do you, in other words, it's preposterous that there are real evils going on and they're yapping about, you know, whatever, global warming or, or trans rights or, or whatever it is. And, and we're kind of acting like, well, you know, okay, we're, we're just gonna, you know, agree to disagree or something mm -hmm. like that. There are tons and tons and tons of issues that affect real people in this country and other countries. I mean, the idea of an open border, the fentanyl that's pouring in, do you think God will not hold the church responsible? for the lives that are being destroyed, for the suicides that are, be, that, that are coming. I mean, you mentioned that. That, that, that. that is, if the church would be the church, and you give people hope, and you tell people you're made in the image of God, and he loves you, and he died for you, and he is with you in whatever battle you're facing, that changes people's perspective. If you tell them there is no God, here's a phone, and, you know, whatever, that, that's going to lead sensitive young people to kill themselves which is what it's doing. So uh, yeah, we have, a, we have an epidemic of meaninglessness and so on and so forth. And so to me, uh, what, what, what God presents, we've been very shy in a way. It's kind of like I was saying, it's like, it's like we have all this food and we go like, well, I don't want to impose it on, you, on the hungry. <laughs> you, you, you'd be like, what? What are you talking, you mean, so you have the answers to life. You have the answer to the meaning of life and that there's really a God who died for me and who loves me. And you, and you, you, you know all this stuff, but you're not sharing it because you, you, you think you might offend somebody. Like for every person who might get offended, there are three people dying to hear that. But you've bought the lie, we've all bought the lie. We're like, well, no, I don't know. I, I've only met those that will be offended. Most people are looking for answers, they're looking for truth. And because things have gotten so bad, that's more true than it's ever been in a lifetime, times 10. There are tons of people looking around for like, is there truth, is there meaning? This is the hour of the church to stand. Uh, yeah. And also, we were specifically instructed by Christ to not have fear of them, to not be afraid of what they might do, how they might be offended, but to continue to proclaim the truth. Well, that's, that's what's so interesting. And again, it gets to this idea of, you know, one of the, the great things about America is that we're, you know, we're nice people. And one of the worst things about America is that we're nice people. It's kind of, you know, it's part of the national character, right? That, that you know, we don't want to... Bonhoeffer noticed that when he came over in 1930, the first time, that, it, that there was never any kind of sharp debate. Nobody cared about truth. It was all about, we just want to get along, you know? And, like, you know, there's something to be said for that. But there's also something to be said for standing for truth, because there's a time when truth matters and what you believe matters. Um, and, and I do feel like there are a lot of Christians that have bought, they bought a little bit of the lie that, well, maybe what I believe is just for me. It's like, no, it's not just for you. Uh, you know, may, may, maybe the Lord wouldn't have even given it to you if he knew you'd have that attitude about it, <laughs> because he gave it to you to share with others, right? And uh, I, it's funny because the, the they don't have copies of the book here, but I wrote a book called Is Atheism Dead? came out last year. And I was myself astonished. I've become astonished at the evidence for God 
from science. I mean, if you read the book, you almost won't believe it. And this, all this information is out there, but I kind of, by God's grace, stumbled upon it. I'm not going to pretend like I'm some genius that, you know, dug and dug and dug. I just happened to bump into a few people that gave me some pieces, and I thought, I have to put this in a book. Because we need to be bolstered in our faith. We need to understand that our faith actually is true, and the idea that there's no God is unbelievably preposterous. Like, it's not just, well, it's a point of view. No, it's like saying the earth is flat. You, you don't take those, if you take those people seriously, that's on you. <laughs> uh, the fact of the matter is, there's certain things, like the idea that's no God. It, the, the, if you are intellectually honest, it's almost impossible to take that seriously. Because the evidence from science, the evidence from archaeology, for the Bible as history, the evidence... The evidence from atheists. Look at atheists and their lives, and look at atheist regimes, and you say, okay, how's that looking for them? What does that, what does that create? Hopelessness, horrors. It, it, it really, we need to, to be solid and confident in our faith that it is true. It is the answer every single human being is looking for. Like, we need to know that and be excited about it, just like you found a discovery for a rare cancer, and you'd be like, wow, uh, how do I get this out? How do I bring this to people? It's going to save lives. If you find a discovery for any disease, can you imagine? That's what the Lord has given us. And, and I think we've, you know, people talk about loss of cultural confidence. I think a lot of Christians have that. We can like, well, I don't know. I have questions. I can understand. There's weird things in the Bible. I don't know what to say. Well, that doesn't really matter. It's kind of like saying, I don't understand how a carburetor works, but nonetheless, I get in the car and drive to work, right? Like, you'll always have questions, but you don't say, like, the whole idea of cars, I don't know. <laughs> but that's how people are with faith, and it's preposterous. Most human beings are dying for the truth of the Bible, and, and we need to get excited about sharing that, like, really excited. It's beautiful. It's amazing, and it's actually true. All right, I got a quick question. Are you going to see the movie Jesus Revolution? Uh, I've seen it. You've already seen it. Well, there you go. Yeah. I, I'm, um, well, I've been friends with Greg Laurie for a number of years, and I uh, in interviewed him about it on my, my show. I, have a, I should say I have a, a daily radio show, two hours a day across the country, and if you sign up for my newsletter, we'll send you the videos because YouTube canceled me. It's off of YouTube. Yeah. So, but if you go to ericmetaxas.com, but um, I interviewed Greg Laurie about it, and it is, I mean, listen, it's actually also a good movie. That's amazing, because, you know, a lot of Christian movies, like, you know, they're watchable. But this is really a good movie. I mean, the fact that he got Kelsey Grammer to play is, like, amazing. So it, it, it's really good, and I think... It's the kind of movie that you can bring people to who aren't where you are. You know what I'm saying? And I, I don't mean like, you know, bring an angry atheist to see it. Uh, but I'm saying, you know, people that just aren't where you are on the same page, you can bring them to see that film. You go, no, it's, it's, it's really good. It's Kelsey Grammer. Like, it's, it's, a good, it's a good film. It's actually a good film. And so I'm thrilled to say that, you know? Cool. Yeah. So everyone really ought to support it and go see it and, you know, bring friends or something. You really ought to. All right, I think we got time for a couple more here. 
What are your thoughts on the current state of our education system and our higher education system? I mean, you graduated from Yale, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I, uh, because I graduated from Yale, I'm in a position of authority to tell you it's not a good place. <laughs> um, higher education has gone to hell. Um, most education has gone to hell. And I think it was always in a not great place, but like a lot of things, it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, in the 80s already, uh, when I was there, it was bad. And, you know, back then it was called political correctness or whatever it was, but it was like French critical theory, deconstruction, whatever, undermining the idea of truth. That was all there, but it was still only like, you know, in certain departments. But it has trickled down and trickled down and trickled down. So you are now, uh, I, I, I honestly think that institutions like Yale and Harvard or the New York Times, whatever, you have to pronounce them dead. They're dead. They're, they're, they pretend, they want to they pretend that they're still a thing. But if you would send your kid to one of those places or if you would bother to read the New York Times, I mean, really, you know, it may have served a purpose at some point. But at this point, I mean, most higher education, I mean, I'm mentioning the worst, but I'm saying most higher education is, you know, it's not just a waste of money. It's like you're, it, you're, you're, you're sending your kids to be confused and destroyed, you know, and unless, you know, they're going there to play a sport and do like engineering, maybe they can get through it, you know, because, <laughs> but I, because I'm just saying it, it, all, it all depends on the school, but most schools... It's an atmosphere that is antithetical to everything. It's not just any, everything we believe in. It's to everything that is true. And you're sending mm -hmm. them into these, uh, you know, it's like into a buzzsaw. And so I am now, uh, you know, really strongly against even bothering with, with, with that. I mean, there's just a tiny handful of, like, really Christian schools. Like a tiny handful. The ones that even were good 15 years ago are not. And so... Uh, I, I really think most people could, would be better off skipping it and doing any number of things. You know, you, we can teach ourselves and you can read books and you can do it. It's really not, it, it, it's just hard for me to believe that people still have this like old fashioned idea. Like I'm going to send my kid to this place and they're going to get an education. I, I, you know, I, I, I cease to take that seriously. I can't, I can't even believe that people do, but they do. And we, we, I don't think I have enough time right now to explore it all, but the, and you've mentioned this, I think, in one of your talks this morning, uh, the, the, the slow climb through the institutions. And the, the, the opposite side here has used the institutions, particularly yeah. education, yeah. which up until 60 to 70 years ago, yeah. Christians, right. Christian families, and Christian churches knew that education was our responsibility. Yeah. We abdicated it to the state 60 to 70 years ago, yeah. and the results are in. Well, it's I mean, not working. It's kind of funny because even when you think of public schools, it's supposed to be, you know, in loco parentis, right? In other words, I, I don't have time to teach my kids this thing, so we pay taxes and we hire a school teacher and we have the teacher do it, right? Well, they're supposed to do what you want them to do. You are paying them to teach your kids what you want your kids to learn. But somehow, as we know, the you know, Department of Education and other forces have taken control, so they're not teaching your kids what you would want you. I mean, imagine it would be like going to the grocery store and they say, give me your money and we're going to put some stuff in your car. And you're like, so I don't get to choose? What, what, what? It's <laughs> like, no, how dare, how dare you? What business, what, you're not an expert on food. 
Give me your money. Um, You'd say, well, I don't get to choose the food I want to, you know. You're supposed to choose how to raise your kids. And the only reason even when I had the public schools was the idea is that we're we're going to, you know, we're going to hire experts who are going to do what we want. And they're good at it. And we're going to hire them. That was the idea. And so the idea that, that it has been taken over, I mean, look, when I was in, in, in school in the 70s, uh, public schools hadn't been taken over by nuts. It was just beginning. But the culture, you talk about the, you know, the long march through the institutions, that, that these wicked, you know, anti-God, anti-biblical, Marxist, atheist worldviews have, have made their way even, of course, now into corporate culture. You kind of think, what? And into the military. You think, that's not possible. Like, they're these bastions of, you know, normalcy. And so we, we, have to, we have to deal with that, you know. We have to drain the swamp. We have to drain the swamps. We have to do everything we can to create alternative institutions and to fight like crazy. I mean, I'd be all for defunding the FBI. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Probably shouldn't stop there, too. There's a couple of other things that could be defunded. Oh, there's plenty of right? things. Most of it. Yeah. 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 Well, but, I mean, we need to get serious about that. We need to get serious about electing people who are serious about that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got two questions left for you, Eric. Number one, um, let's talk about heroes just for a second. And you write a lot about heroes and tell the story and of how that has in part formed our nation. And now we're, uh, we're in a country where we're ripping our heroes, literally, yeah. like their statues down. Yeah. We're making villains into heroes. Right. Uh, how is this an in, a picture of what's going on? And how do we restore to an appropriate respect of heroes? Well, first of all, you know, every healthy society has heroes, right? You know, you tell your kids you want to grow up to be like that person or that person. It could even be a local thing, right? You could have somebody in the community that you respect. And, you, you know, you tell your kids, like, you know, you want to be like so-and-so. Or, uh, you know, you want, you want to be like your mom or your dad. Whatever. That's how human beings function. We look at other human beings and we say, I, want to as- I aspire to that. Well, you know, something happened in America, of course. Uh, you know, roughly in the 60s was when it had, when it really kind of grabbed hold of things. But you get the idea of the anti-hero and the mockery of traditional values, the mockery of honor and dignity and patriotism. And all that we had going for us as a nation began to be eroded at that point. Um, I talk about it um, in my book, Is Atheism Dead? I just talk about how Time Magazine puts out this article in 1966, a cover, Is God Dead, right? So the unraveling of everything begins with the idea is like, maybe there's no God, maybe there's no truth. Who's to say what's right or wrong? And aren't you just a sucker for being patriotic? And aren't you just a sucker for looking up to George Washington or this one or that? They were all hypocrites. Like, those are pernicious ideas because we know that they were all sinners saved by grace. But, you know, when you start making it sound like, well, look, we're all just, we're all screwed up and who's to say who's good or bad or, you know, Mother Teresa is no different than Joseph Stalin and, you know, who who are we to... Once you introduce those kind of relativistic ideas, you destroy the idea of the hero, right? And it's already been done on the micro level where, you know, fatherhood is mocked, right? 
fathers are all, we had father knows best. Um, there's something really just beautiful about that idea, right? Respecting your father, honoring your mother and father. And, and all of these things have been undermined over time. So the idea of the hero, you know, uh, in, in my book, If You Can Keep It, I write about Paul Revere and Nathan Hale and George Washington and Lincoln. And when you know their stories, you want to cry with gratitude. It's so beautiful. And this doesn't just apply from in America, I mean, my father raised me, uh, you know, to be proud that I'm, that I'm Greek, you know, Greeks. Now, every nationality, you should be proud. You should be proud of whatever state you're from. You should be, there's something healthy about that. But we've all been told, no, 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 no. Like, you know, we're citizens of the world. Don't be proud to be an American. Uh, don't be proud to be fr from Ohio. Do you mean you hate everybody from Alabama? Uh, you know, like, w w this normal, <laughs> healthy idea of pride Proud, you know, to be this. Proud to be that. These ideas have been undermined. And it's really, again, it's a satanic project. Because if you tell people not to look up to George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, to whom are, are they going to look up? You know, to Rihanna, maybe? Who, who, <laughs> who, who are the heroes? Who are the brave heroes? They're, they're all anti-heroes. They're all kind of, you know, uh, it, it, it's really obvious that the idea of the hero uh, is mocked. And this began, of course, in the 60s. And, and I really do think that, you know, I mentioned uh, my dad. You know, my dad taught me to be proud of my Greek heritage, you know. And there's something in almost every culture, there, there's something beautiful. And you're supposed to celebrate that. And we in America, I, I think, have... The, the least excuse not to be proud because we've been given just an insanely beautiful heritage. It's just we don't deserve this country. We're the freest nation in the world, the greatest nation in the world. So to not be proud of it is to be crazy. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're, it's been undermined, and we have to be aware of those forces undermining those things. And, and again, I mean, the way, the way I put it uh, often is that it's sort of like if, if, if somebody says... Uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a kid, and uh, my kid's got some problems, some some good stuff and some bad stuff, right? And imagine if you say to that kid, you curse the kid, or you say, "You're just like your father. You're just like your mother. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be any good." You're cursing them, right? And as Christians, we understand that's like you are actually cursing them. Or you could say to the kid, like, you've got some problems you need to work on. And the kid works on the problems. And you say, boy, a girl, you're getting better. Okay, you can improve here. But I want to celebrate that win. You're doing better. You're, you're loving them, right? You're helping them. You're celebrating their victories and you're walking with them, whatever. So what happens when you say to a nation, not, you've done some good stuff. You abolished slavery. You defeated the Nazis. You put men on the moon. You've done some great stuff. You still have some problems that you need to work on. Or you say, you are fundamentally bad. You were always bad. You were bad from the beginning, and no matter what you do, you'll always be bad. And don't ever look up with pride because you don't deserve to have pride. You are cursing the nation. It's sick. Mm -hmm. It's a sick thing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the model. It's this negative, critical model that has come in and we are training every generation now to see things through these filters, through very cynical, bleak, nihilistic filters, which are, they're, they're fundamentally wrong. You could say they're unbiblical. You could say that they're un-American. But they're also fundamentally 
wrong. Mm -hmm. Any healthy society recognizes that. And that's a big, it, it is a big issue for us to celebrate the heroic uh, and to be willing to make films and, 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 and stories that are beautiful and true. And because everybody still longs for that. We all sort of know that. Um, but it's kind of fallen out of favor rather dramatically. And so we, we have to understand that that's a, that's a big issue, that if you don't have heroes, there's something very sick going on. Hmm. Thank you. A uh, couple of thoughts there. First, we don't hate Alabama. We just hate their football team. I just want you all to right. know. All right. I just want to be clear. Yeah. yeah. Just to be clear. And um, secondly, just a quick question, and then we'll do our final question. Uh, would President Metaxas, speaking of Ohio, would President Metaxas prefer to send $100 billion to criminals in the Ukraine or a little bit of money to clean up our rivers in Ohio? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you don't need me to answer that because you know. Okay. Listen, folks, uh, if we don't fight to take our government back and to give it back to we the people, uh, we're going to get more and more and more of the madness. More and more and more of the madness. Uh, if you listen to my radio program, I have John Smirak on all the time. He's just a genius. Uh, I mean, really, I, I, I recommend my show. You can listen to the podcast, or you can, as I say, sign up uh, on, the, uh, on, on my website. But he, he has really helped me understand a lot of this, about how even how so many, a lot of us have woken up to it in the last you know, number of years, but, but how uh, even the people that we thought were on our side are just warmongering neocon idiots that they don't really and truly even understand. There are no law. I mean, I guess I feel I've had to repent of, you know, I was for the Iraq war and I thought George Bush was great and I thought whatever. And then as time has passed, I realized, wow, I feel foolish. I'm embarrassed because liberal friends of mine were saying things and I just thought, oh, they don't get it. They were actually right about some of that stuff, about the abuse of power and the Patriot Act and so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. so this is the, it's the same thing. And, and you know, when you're talking about Ukraine or whatever, I mean, honestly, I still don't really understand the whole NATO thing. Like we defeat the Soviet Union, but we still say, well, we got to have the Soviet Union. We got to have the NATO to stand against Russia. Russia is like a joke compared to the Soviet Union. It's no longer a superpower, but we kind of act like it was good business for a lot of people to have this enemy. And so it became, it, 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 you know, I don't I'd really want to get off on that, but the point is, like, it's just horrifying to realize that you've been lied to and that you've kind of bought the narrative, and here we are, you know, and we have no idea what's happening with our money and we have no idea what's going on. But I want to say, really, to encourage you, I know that God's plan is for us to go in the right direction. I know that that's the Lord's will. So whenever you hear anybody just say, oh, it's all going to hell, whatever, you, you, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. Uh, you know, speak positive things. Speak what God's will is over this nation. And, 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 and lean into that and pray into that and work into that. Uh, and don't buy the, the, you know, the doom and gloomers that they're almost happy that it's all you know, going down the tubes because they don't want to do anything about it. Because that's, then you're working for the enemy. And we've had a lot of conservatives and a lot of Christians that have done that in their passivity. Amen. And you get those zoom and gloomers or whatever, and I always think, you know, if the Puritans, 
believed what some of these people believe, they would have never got on the boat. <laughs> and I'm really glad they did because we have a nation now and we don't know what this is going to look like. We don't know how long we have. Right. And so as long as we're here, we might as well fight. We might as well preach truth and we might as well see God move again. And I think that has to be our position. I got one last question um, because we're actually already over. This went by quickly. Man. Wow. Yeah. Um, here's the last question. And I mean... Unless you want to keep going. I don't know. Um, okay. I'm, I, I'm happy to keep going. Okay. The whole idea that somebody cares what I think, I, I'm flattered <laughs> by that. I don't think anyone's left yet. I don't know. Um, what role in everything we've talked about, what role does revival have to play in all of this? I don't, I don't think there's any hope outside of revival. In other words, I, I, I believe that that is at the heart of what God's plan is. And so I believe uh, what's happening at Asbury is 1,000% real, uh, and it is leaking over into other places. And I pray by God's grace it's only the beginning because it is, listen, this nation has been sustained on miracles and revivals. Like, it's, 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 it's our story. It's Amen. our history. Um, I don't have time to get into it, but it's a fact. And so I really do believe that that is uh, God's plan that is his will and that we need to all live our lives that way and understand that that the lord if, if you believe in what the scripture says if you believe in jesus you have the answer that everyone is looking for and you also have the motivation to work to do things to to try to change things you god has given you everything you need to do that he says i died for you and until you leave this world, I want you to live for me and, and, and do these things because there are people all over the world and all around this country depending on what you do uh, and, and don't do. And everything I do uh, in, in my life is, uh, let's put it this way, I mean, if you look at my, my life, it's kind of scattered. I, you know, I have a radio show, TV show, I write books, I do speaking, I do all these different kinds of things and I'm working on other things. And, but at the heart of it all uh, is a lot of what we're talking about here. It's about bringing the culture back to Jesus. Um, in fact, I should mention this, tomorrow, not tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday night, I do a thing called Socrates in the City, which is kind of like a pre-evangelistic, you know, kind of PBS-style conversations, you know, on the important things. Uh, and you, we've never done this before, so I feel bold to announce you can live stream it. We, people kept saying, well, I can't get to New York, whatever. We're, we're live streaming it uh, if you go to SocratesInTheCity.com. But it's a conversation. I, I, I'm blessed to discover these people. There's a woman uh, named Jeannie Constantino, one of the greatest New Testament scholars, and just a godly, humble, amazing woman who wrote a book mm -hmm. called The Crucifixion of the King of Glory. And it is so beautiful. And I'm going to be interviewing her on that because it's the beginning of Lent. It's the beginning of, you know, it's a time to think about these things. So the Socrates and City events are not usually, um, am I interrupting this guy? Yeah. Um, sir, sir, it, can, can the, we let him finish? The, basically, the, 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 the Socrates in the City is not usually like on the nose Christian. Um, but this one, I just thought, you know, as we go toward Easter, I, I wanted to do one. So if you're Board on Tuesday night, it's like $10 or something, but it's socratesinthecity.com. We've never live streamed one before, and they're, they're really fun. 
but I, I, I have the privilege on my radio program and, 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 and these other things to kind of sometimes discover somebody or something that's so beautiful, and I'm just dying to share it with everybody because it's like I want people to have heard of this. And some, somebody earlier today in the book signing line was saying that, you know, I've discovered this and this and this through your show, and I feel like that's, that's how God made me in a sense. He gave me that gift to be able to, uh, in, in a sense, share this stuff with, with, with anybody uh, who's interested because you'll, you will be blessed, you know, because you're not going to see these people kind of in the mainstream media, and that's, we need to change that too. So, yeah. Thank you. So um, this will be, we'll, we'll make closing comments here. Um, today in our services, we could, we could sense just God's presence here. And people were moved. Uh, there were people coming up to me just sharing how God, you know, things in their life, 20, 30 years, God was setting loose. And you're, you're doing this all over the country. And you're seeing similar stories of what God is doing. And so, um, you know, let's just end here. What, what reason for hope do we have? And what is your final encouragement to us here? Well, it's, it's I've been saying it, is that Christians, um, to despair is to sin against God. Uh, to give up is to sin against God. We are called to fight and to pray and to love and to act, and we are called to those things, and we're supposed to live in our faith with joy. Um, so w- when somebody says, listen, it's all over, stop fighting, th- th- I, I want to repeat, that's the voice of the devil, because even if it is all over, it's not your call. It's nobody's call. You're supposed to do everything you can do until the Lord says it's over unless he takes us. And I really believe, as we've been saying, that these terrible things have happened uh, in this country, but I believe it is waking up the people of God. It is going to bring about revival. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I, I can't say that for sure, but I know that's the Lord's will. And because he made us in his image, he gives us the ability to determine whether that happens or doesn't. He says, it's on you, church. I, mean, I can't force you to do the right thing. I couldn't force the German church to do the right thing. But that's my will. Will you live self-sacrificially? Will you believe as though you actually believe Jesus defeated death on the cross and that you live fearlessly and joyfully? Um, and people say, well, what do I do practically? There are an, there's an infinite number of things that you can do. You can homeschool your kids. Uh, you could vote. You can get involved in elections. You could run for office. You could do, there are a million things that we could do. And every one of us is called to do something different. But if the church of Jesus Christ would live into our faith, would live out our faith and stop pretending being a Christian means something I do on Sunday morning, that's not, that's not what it is. It's supposed to be, uh, I, I, I said it this morning, but it, it, uh, it, the famous uh, Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper, he said, there's not one square inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, does not say, mine. The Lord wants us to take him into every sphere. And when somebody says, stay in your theological lane, just stick to your little gospel, that's what Hitler said to the pastors. You just stick to your little, your little sermons. Don't get involved in what's going on in Germany. Well, that's what he, that's, that was the will of the devil. It's God's will that... You live out your faith in every sphere, every day, 24-7. That's what it is to be the church. And so the Lord is asking the church to be the church. And I believe that if the church will be the church, we will see stuff that people have been praying for for, for many, many decades. So I am hopeful, not in a, in a foolish way. 
I understand uh, it, could, it could go either way, but I don't believe the Lord would have called me to write this book and he would not have you here and other people doing what they're doing. I, I, I am genuinely hopeful, but we have to be willing to fight. We have to be willing to do what God calls us to do with no fear. God bless you. Amen. Amen. So you're going to stick around and sign books. And uh, if uh, people out there want to purchase a book, they can and, uh, and chat. Eric, on behalf of everyone here, thank you so much. Hey, let me say thank us. you. I want to say, listen, I want to say this. I said this this morning, but you can't imagine how encouraging it is to me uh, to be invited to churches around this country. There are not many of them. But boy, oh boy, when I see what is happening here, uh, there are, there's a reason for you to be hopeful, folks, because there are people around this country waking up, and they are, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this as well, I, I do say to people, uh, I know I said it this morning, if you're going to a church that doesn't get this stuff, that says, well, we don't want to be divisive, we don't want to be political, whatever, you might give them, you might just give them a copy of my book and say, would you consider this, okay? But if they don't, you might really need to get out of that church because we're in a war. And if you want to play patty cake with the devil and pretend like there's no war, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. So I want to encourage you all who are here in this community, I want to encourage you that you all bless me because uh, there aren't many churches that get this, but may this church be a part of helping other churches get this. To, to God's glory. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Can we pray for you? Will you guys stand up? We're going to take a moment and pray with Eric. Oh, Father, thank you. I thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you, Lord, for uh, equipping Eric, for encouraging him, for uh, empowering him with your spirit uh, to do and uh, to respond to the call that you've given him. And we pray blessing uh, over his ministry, uh, Lord, that you would uh, move it out, uh, that it would uh, reach the right desks and, uh, uh, and tablets, Lord, that pastors would read it, that it would awaken people up. Father, we pray that this would be an awakening moment here for us in Northwest Ohio. Uh, and Lord, we pray that you would continue to use your servant, uh, that he would remain uh, humble and uh, open to wherever it is that you would call him to go. And we pray protection over him. We pray provision for him. Uh, and we pray that you would empower him by your spirit, that every church he walks into, every uh, show that he records, Lord, that he would have your Holy Spirit wisdom flowing out of him, Lord. And you would use this to charge up your body across this nation, Lord, that we would see revival and people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, bowing to your lordship. This is our in our prayer, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.